Okay, guys, bang, bang, bang. This is Alternative Data News. I'm Aubrey Hodges. Let's get into it. Today, I've got a really exciting guest joining me on the show. He's leading the corporate efforts at a firm that has really become one of the premier go-to alternative data firms. No introduction needed. Um, Thinknum Alternative Data has really become a household name, just simply off the backdrop of the latest data set that they've created, a Reddit data set which is allowing institutional investors to identify signals, real-time information, and stay up to date with everything that's happening with Reddit, Wall Street bets. And this primarily came off the backdrop of the earlier trade related to GameStop. Super excited to have Abdus Muwakil join me on the show. Abdus, welcome. Hey, thank you, Aubrey. Pleasure to be here. Uh, nice to chat this morning on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great Friday, one of the rare ones that we've had. So listen, why don't, um, you know, I, we've known each other for quite some time. Why don't, uh, why don't you give uh, the quick, the quick th sort of 30 second backdrop on yourself and then ultimately kind of talk me through, you know, how did you sync up with um, the founders and the team over at Thinkman? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've pretty much like to consider myself a startup veteran. Uh, I started trying to build my first company in college uh, at Temple University back in Philadelphia. Uh, at the time, I was trying to build a mobile application and platform for students to order from food trucks on campus. So it was kind of at that early 2012, 2013 intersection of, you know, Grubhub, Yelp, and kind of this online digital uh, engagement of uh, food companies. Um, so that's what kind of got me first kind of building my first business plans, talking to customers, working with engineers to build apps and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, as I was graduating, I, I had already pretty much concluded that, you know, when it came to, you know, like, unfortunately, the, the company didn't necessarily pan out. But, you know, I, I maintained kind of that entrepreneurial knack, started getting engaged with the local uh, tech scene in Philadelphia, the local venture capital uh, game, you know, working at uh, an accelerator by the name of Dream Adventures, um, and you know, really, you know, just trying to become immersed in you know entrepreneurship in Philly. Uh, things led to another, and I ended up essentially doing this, working with one of one startup by the name of Converge, and we did a whole road trip across the country. So I pretty much spent two months on the road, went to thirty different states. Um, you know, dozens of tech conferences, co-working spaces, you know, essentially getting in front of our users, our customers, and uh, trying to build growth for the company. Um, long story short, they ended up moving to Austin, Texas. I decided to move to New York City. We did a little remote kind of thing for a while. Things didn't pan out, and I had to kind of rebound um, in New York and figure out how to make a living. So, you know, the first thing I did was go back to my roots, started working, you know, uh, kind of odd jobs at Craigslist and things like that, but eventually landed a gig working with uh, some health and fitness uh, medical devices and sensors and uh, spent five years doing that, took the company public, and then, you know, kind of coming on the way down, I uh, connected back with the co-founders, uh, Greg and Justin, and uh, 
here I am at ThinkNum since uh, last 2020, uh, at the beginning of January, I started. And uh, it's been quite the ride, you can say. Yeah, wow, impressive backdrop. Um, really great background. Um, super incredible. Sounds like an amazing, an amazing journey. Um, and to kind of reconnect with, you know, the co-founders now, I mean, it seems like you guys, uh, you know, really have great, um, you know, great relationships and have done some great work as well. Um, so, you know, for, for folks who aren't familiar with, you know, think them, you know, what, what is think them? What do you guys do? You know, what's the core competency? And then, and then kind of talk me through, like, how did you guys merge from the traditional, you know, web model to what you guys have really become well known for now, more recently, which is this, you know, Reddit Wall Street bets data set? Uh, yeah, sure. So, so you pretty much you want to understand, you know, who ThinkNum is, who we are, and kind of the, the evolution of how we are, where we are today, right? That's correct. Um, sure. So, you know, it, I, was, I was not in the picture really at this point, but, uh, you know, it really starts with the two founders, uh, Gregory Ugui and uh, Justin Zen, who were both working respectively at Goldman Sachs and uh, a hedge fund. And, uh, you know, they, they saw a similar problem with, you know, essentially these firms having teams across different pods, across different sectors, all working on essentially obtaining the best available data. And, you know, there was just really a problem of kind of disparate, you know, essentially inefficient process to kind of centralize that information. Everyone had different spreadsheets. Everyone was kind of, you know, working redundantly in different ways. So the, 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 the big kind of spawn of ThinkNum, so to speak, was to be able to kind of help various teams, various professionals within firms uh, work in a more consistent manner as it related to their collection of data and then you know the, the subsequent analysis of it. Uh, so that's, that was kind of the, 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 the big problem. Um, what, where, where the company is now is essentially we aggregate online data. You know, when we talk about alternative data, we're talking specifically about data found on the web. And what we do is we should clean that data up and structure it into data sets where organizations from you know, major financial institutions to asset managers all the way to the corporate side, they can use this data specifically for the business problems that they're working on. Um, so we have about 34 plus different data sets covering hundreds of thousands of companies, both here in the US as well as globally, um, private and public companies. And uh, the, the data sets that we have you know, we, we've really been collecting this information since 2013, 2014. So one of the advantages of internet data in itself is that, you know, internet's pretty much the biggest thing in the world these days. Every day, every second, tons, like I don't need to get into like the quintabytes or, you know, whatever new terms we're making up to describe the volume of data, but it's being generated every day. Uh, so it's, there's this real-time intelligence component for, firms that start using this information, they can start seeing things faster than others in their space. Uh, so we do a good job of getting that data and providing it back. But you know, over time, as you collect this data, you start building these historical uh, data sets, these historical repositories that you know, sure. analysts, it's not just important to see, oh, this ticker's going up and you know, that's because they're pr probably growing their hiring and sales. 
that that's good information. But when you can compare it to their two years, three year history, four year, and to even some of our data sets, 15 year history, you can really have the right context to then start making actual business decisions, whether it be making investment trades or allocating capital. Right. Um, so, so that's the, that's the nutshell. I know you asked specifically about this uh, wall street bets situation. Um, you know, I think it, it was kind of spontaneous uh, in that <clears throat> we, 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 ironically enough, we were kind of following what was happening in wall street bets. Um, and this was when I was probably at 3 million members. Um, and so, you know, we saw chatter um, and we saw people talking about the stock. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually ended up, you know, even just individually, I actually did a meme just to kind of poke fun at what was happening. And, uh, you know, we saw actually one of, one of the memes go viral. <clears throat> and so, you know, there we saw the seriousness from the actual community that like, okay, this is, this is hot, like GME, right. people are really excited about this. <clears throat> and then kind of along those same lines, you started seeing kind of media organizations start, you know, talking about it and talking about even particular hedge funds that were involved in it as well. And so this, this storyline kind of started becoming of, hey, these Wall Street Redditors, hedge funds, you know, it was an interesting dynamic that, you know, I, I think we, we didn't want to sit on the sideline and just kind of watch being that, you know, we, we, we were experiencing, we were living in it as well. Uh, so with that said, you know, a few over the next week or two, as the stock was kind of getting hot, some of our customers started requesting, hey, like, you know, do you have data on this? Uh, sure. So I, I probably for the first few, you know, we were doing one off, like, you know, probably, you know, data aggregates, so to speak, like, you know, we'd, we'd pull some data in for them. But once a number of clients started asking us, uh, I think that was when the founders probably decided it'd be best to create a more systematic approach to uh, get that data and deliver it for, for our clients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, one, one thing's for sure, it, it definitely was, uh, was, was pretty timely. And I can only imagine, you know, real-time access and information to that type of transparency is enormously, mm -hmm you know, valuable, helpful, um, and, and really helps, you know, people on the street kind of eliminate, you know, the noise from what's actually happening. Um, you may, you may want to track down that meme you, uh, you created. It could be a pretty valuable NFT at some point in the future. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I share those sentiments. I, I have them. Uh, and, you know, I'll definitely share them with you, uh, like around the show or after the show. And, you know, I, I'd be interested to, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, look, I mean, that was, uh, that was a really great intro, you know, can you, can you kind of, um, you know, you know, kind of talk me through, obviously the, the, the offering is unique, but you know, who specifically, you know, does, does Thinkum work with, obviously, you know, there's the institutional folks that you and I tend to work with on a day-to-day -day basis, but, but who else is sort of engaging and utilizing you guys and coming to you for, for critical insights? Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit interesting because, um, you know, when you're at a startup, you have limited resources. You know, we raised a Series A two years ago, about 11.6 million Series A, which is, in, in my eyes, relatively low to, compared to what you see these days, where Series A can go up to $30 million in some cases. So uh, with that said, you know, I, I, and even from just a cultural standpoint, you know, we're, we're pretty focused on delivering results. So, you know, when you have a data product, you, you kind of want to be able to sell it to everybody because everyone needs data, right? 
but sure. just sure. based on, based on the, the nature of the company, you know, we, I, I think the first main start was in the financial services space, working with hedge funds, asset managers, and kind of, you know, innovative uh, institutional banks who were, you know, looking for novel data sources that others in the industry weren't using, you know, that like pretty much, you know, the, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, the whole antithesis here is like, you, you can use quarterly reports, you can see what's being said on the media, you can see what companies are talking about in terms of like press releases, but everyone has access to that information at the same time. Sure. So, you know, really, it's about what firms are looking to even kind of get past that point. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, you have a lot of kind of, you know, quantitative shops, you have, you know, just some serious data driven companies who their bread and butter is getting data as fast as possible and being able to, you know, move it through the, the value chain to get it to business stakeholders or, you know, owners of the firm who, who are going to make important decisions based off of it. Um, right. So, right. so financial services, you know, definitely. Um, and that, that even includes, you know, real estate firms, REITs and uh, various kind of, you know, businesses that are, you know, near the investment space. Um, interesting enough, when I joined the company, I was really given a, a different mandate for the company, which had already had some, some, you know, some, some slight traction, but, you know, just enough to really wet the palate, which was repackaging our same data products and solutions for the corporate market. So my, my significant part of my focus has actually been selling into Fortune 1000 companies uh, and, you know, trying to figure out which of, you know, which industries and which sectors and which types of functions are actually going to be, you know, most approachable for the type of data we have. So we've definitely found some good opportunities across HR, specifically with, you know, talent intelligence professionals who are looking to understand labor markets and labor market movement in order to hire the best talent, uh, you know, competitive intelligence across, uh, you know, kind of high, high, you know, let's say like pharma companies, uh, big automotive companies are, you know, continuously trying to figure out how they can stay ahead on changes in the market, um, as well as obviously your, your high, you know, your, your internet and high tech companies like, uh, you know, from your social media giants, et cetera. Uh, so we, we really span kind of the whole gamut here. Um, and, you know, we're, we're definitely finding traction. Um, but, you know, every, every company, every professional within that company is going to have a, a use case that's specific to them. So really figuring out how to not just say, hey, we, we're ThinkNow, we have great data, uh, please use it so you can make better decisions. It's more like, how do we understand what our clients, what major corps, what high growth tech startups are going through? What are they trying to do? How are they trying to beat out their competitors? And how can we align our data to support them on those efforts? Right, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned some things earlier, which, which I found intriguing, you know, more so around working with, you know, hedge funds and how they have been sort of the early adopters of, of using data. And that's, you know, that's primarily due to, you know, the infrastructures that they have. You know, when you're talking about large terabytes of data, you know, not everyone has the infrastructure um, or the team set up to ingest, you know, a high frequency amount of data and more so be able to understand, you know, the story, the backdrop, you know, identify the signals and data in order, in order to even, you know, generate, you know, a, a return on their capital spent, right? Um, you know, how, how, have you, how have you noticed the difference between, you know, the infrastructure 
from you know funds that have uh, used think them on you know whether it be the discretionary side or the quantitative side to you know how does that infrastructure look for folks on on the corporate side um, in terms of ingesting the data and how how they're able to uh, to utilize it and make sense of it. Yeah, it, it definitely varies. And then even when it like even when it is similar, then like based on the number of people on the team can kind of influence how how things really pan out when it comes to how they're how they're going to ingest data. Um, but with that said, you know, I, as a company, I think we've done it pretty smart or intelligently, so to speak, which is really keep it as simple as possible. So, you know, if you're a quant shop or if you have a systematic, you know, way to bring in data and to, you know, evaluate it within the organization or to automate, you know, decisions based on it, then you simply use our API. And we have APIs specific to each data sets. And, you know, we don't really do a lot of limiting and all that stuff that you see on, you know, some of the other type of uh, APIs you can get from other companies. You know, we're, we're really, uh, you know, just about, hey, if you want this data and you need to have it, you know, by the second, by the minute, then, you know, here, here it all is. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll trust that you know what to do with that data once it's on your side. The, the second part of that is, you know, definitely an important aspect of the company, which is we have a web portal where it's, you know, no code necessary. You can simply type in a ticker, type in a company, and you can query that company across our 30 different data sets. Um, so we have a really basic dashboard that has a lot of kind of under the hood functionality that, you know, as, you know, a novice analyst or, you know, maybe kind of just a junior analyst getting your first summer internship or you're getting your first year in the company, you know, maybe, you know, you kind of just spend time building dashboards from, from, the, from the data sets and companies in the ThinkNum platform. Whereas, you know, once you're kind of, more advanced, you know, there's, there's tons of ways to query the data that's very neatly structured. You can, you know, pull up basic charts to look at, you know, quarter to quarter performance, month to month performance, week to week performance, um, you know, things like our data sets, like job listings, where you're tracking who a company's hiring, you know, the rate they're hiring at, where they're hiring in. You can always overlay various financial metrics to kind of see, you know, essentially, oh, I want to see what's their how many job openings did they have this month and how is that, you know, connected to their stock performance this month? And so, you know, one of our big things is we don't really consider ourselves an insights company. You know, we're just really trying to present the highest quality, freshest, and, you know, essentially highest velocity data we can as possible sure. and right. you know, let, let the smarter, better domain experts within, you know, their industry kind of just be able to know that they're going to get good data and they'll be able to make the decisions that they know how to make. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I can certainly, certainly see the value in that, you know, as, as you, as you continue to have these conversations with folks on the corporate side, you know, how much of the, of the process um, in the uh, business, you know, sort of cycle is is building fluency for people and, and helping them sort of think through how they can apply, you know, data um, versus you know your 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 analyst or your portfolio manager, you know, who tends to might have a, a higher level of, of, of fluency when it comes to data, just given that they've had a, a longer track record with it. Do you find that there's um, that there's a gap in you know the the level of uh, of fluency or intelligence that that people have on the corporate side versus the institutional investor side? 
Um, I think at this point, everyone understands the value of data. Everyone understands the value of getting access to information that you can make a decision on or that you can share with your boss who can make a decision on it. And if it pans out to be a good decision and that data and information was the, the edge that got it there, you know, they understand kind of the benefits and the value of that. So it's, you know, I think that mo that part is clear. I think, and, you know, to be honest, like, I, you know, sure, like, you know, we, we kind of all shudder at the, 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 the thought of an enterprise sales cycle where it's like three to six months to 12 months in some cases, but. Sure. If not, be, yep, go ahead. Yeah, if not, if not longer, you know, there have definitely been some funds that, you know, even now that I've recently onboarded and, you know, sometimes those conversations are, you know, minimum 12 months, 15 months, sometimes two years. Um, yeah. but but you need to be able to navigate that cycle, kind of keep people engaged, provide value add content, you know, really help them identify usage cases, you know, for the data, you know, um, you know, when it's appropriate, you know, always be proactive as well. Um, you know, this is a game of at bats. You're never going to, you know, persuade someone, you know, within the first three months, six months, nine months. And so, you know, it's, it's not for the faint at heart, but uh -huh. those, do it. Those that do it well understand, you know, the 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 long term, you know, um, you know, tenaciousness, you know, that you need. Um, but it also comes down to really driving value and helping, you know, helping anyone, whether it be a hedge fund, corporate, really sort of connect the dots and find those multiple usage cases, you know, for for themselves, their organization, company, um, and that's that's what's going to drive. You know that sales cycle, you know, quicker, faster, and that's what's gonna, you know, give you some of the the larger wins and at bats. Yeah, no, you're 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 speaking the truth. Um, you know, I guess it maybe like it needs to be flipped on its head a little bit. I think a lot of companies, tech companies, whoever, fintech companies, uh, you know, we always, or even in healthcare, I've seen, you know, we're we we essentially we take this like podium approach where it's like, oh, we need to educate our customers. But really, these companies need to learn from their customers. And I think when you don't learn from your customers, it's harder to sell to them. And yeah. so, you know, when we're creating this content, when we're doing webinars, when we're writing articles, when we're, you know, pushing out, you know, video interviews, it, it's, it's as much as it is about us trying to tell people about, you know, great things happening and what we're seeing in the market, you know, it, it allows us, you know, it's kind of like the, the concept of a teacher who teaches is learning about the material as they teach it. You know, it's kind of like, if, if you can't teach it, then you don't understand the material kind of thing. And so, sure. if you can't, so if you can't sell it, then you don't understand what your customer is actually going through. So, you know, for us in that, that kind of that early stage of like first dealing with clients and trying to, you know, get them to start using our products. Um, I think naturally we want to go after the people who already know about us and they're ready to buy. And, you know, we don't really have to educate too much. We just need to nail down the right business case but for for the, the cases where we do find ourselves doing these webinars on you know how to build data teams at a quant shop or you know how to you know survive in you know a hyper competitive market you know th this is as much of a learning exercise for us to understand what our clients are going through as much as it is for us to try to tell them kind of how how markets are changing you know today in real time yeah, no, I 1000% agree with you. You need to be spending time talking to 
um, talking to your peers, your, your, your clients, the funds that you work with, the corpus that you work with, understanding their businesses, understanding how the pendulum is swinging from left to right, how they make key decisions, you know, what they're thinking about their business, not right at this moment, but where they envision their business going forward in the next 12, 24, 36 months. Um, and then coming to them with real products that offer value and a solution um, and then also understanding, look, not everyone's going to write a million dollar check or even a hundred thousand dollar check. Sometimes that relationship needs to start small. You need to prove your worth and you need to be able to grow that relationship over time. Again, this is about the longevity of relationships and, uh, you know, business relationships uh, and keeping clients there and happy. Um, and ultimately it needs to be mutually beneficial, right? Yep, absolutely. So, so I want to, I want to kind of segue, you know, um, you know, you know, it's obviously been a, a very sort of intriguing year with, uh, with COVID and a number of other just challenging, you know, uh, you know, areas to work through in this type of business environment. You know, we haven't had a chance to go um, and do conferences like we normally do where you can, you know, do 10 to 15 meetings also subsequently see people randomly, you know, uh, for impromptu meetings, catch up with people, you know, as we sort of come, you know, slowly, you know, back into an environment where companies like Battlefin and Eagle Alpha, New Data, et cetera, start to want to reemerge with some of these conferences that they've had, you know, how do you think that they're going to have to sort of pivot their business um, to really bring back some of the value that uh, these conferences once provided? It's, it's a very different landscape to try to do it in a virtual context um, versus, you know, the in-person, which, you know, I'm also looking forward to getting back to as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's pretty much a, mil it's a, billion dollar question for for you know any industry or any group of companies that are dependent on an industry that's largely driven by uh in-person meetings um so obviously i'm not necessarily qualified to to give the right answer but i can give you my perspective i guess as someone who's done tons of trade shows and conferences over the past 10 years and uh you know and have, have you know like back in 2016 i was at uh ces 2016 consumer electronics yep. in vegas and uh you know that was that was my first like major like experience to like okay this is just impossible to see all of this stuff um so you know i, I have those experiences and then i also have like the the much more kind of acute like segmented targeted conferences where it's like specifically well, alternative data um, well yeah the ones that the ones that we go to so let's let's kind of segue into yeah. you know the ones that we typically will go to you know battlefin or or or, or yeah. like i personally think look you know some going to some of the great you know large events are fantastic but you know, battlefin eagle alpha you know they're probably going to be able to need to you know create much more smaller intimate events um that really sort of provide you know value to both you know, the institutions and the corporates, as well as, you know, the, the data providers as well. And sometimes, you know, um, doing 15 meetings is great, but I would much rather have three to five quality meetings versus meeting with, exactly. meeting with 15 people, right? And so that intimacy allows you to create deeper relationship. It allows you to really have more than 12 minutes of speed dating, which is, you know, a very efficient way of doing things. 
Um, but, you know, by the end of the 12th date, everybody's head is really spinning, you know, on a swirl, right? And so the guy sitting across from you is tired, you're tired, um, you know, that at bat is probably not the best one. So these smaller roundtable sessions, in my opinion, I think is where they need to, you know, be, um, you know, pivoting. And it's also going to give us a chance to sort of emerge and get back to, you know, events, um, you know, I wouldn't say sooner or quicker, but in a, but in a structured way that, that people could be comfortable with, you know, and have that scaled over time. What are your thoughts there? All right. So uh, I hear you. And I, to be honest, I, I feel that same way, like, you know, better quality, more, you know, succinct, uh, you know, like, you know, obviously maintaining safety and comfort at, at these, you know, gatherings once, you know, we're all vaccinated up and seeing each other. So for me, it's, it's more interesting to take it even a step further, right? It's, you know, it's what, you know, what, what are these organizations trying to do? The, I look at them almost like a, like a, a multi-sided marketplace or like, you know, multi-sided platform. It's, you know, on one end, you have people who need great data. On the other end, you should have people who have great data. So it's about how do you bring them together? And for, for what you just discussed, I think that is kind of a perfect way to bring people together. But you also kind of mentioned this point of like the, the quality aspect and like, you know, my mind is just kind of willing and like, maybe I'm just throwing stuff that isn't really going to stick on the wall here. But I think these companies should become more data driven. They should understand, you know, they, well, they probably do, but they should systematically understand, you know, when someone comes looking for data, which company is going to have that best use case or be able to provide that best use case or be able to grow into that particular use case. And exactly. so if they're able to do that systematically and over time, the quality of the interactions of the different operators on the platform should improve. So, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's about being more efficient, like, you know, almost kind of running like a, like a data company instead of just an events company to uh, make sure that they understand, because they have great access. They know what people are looking for. They know the supply, they know the demand. That's, that's such a great opportunity. But if not like exercised in terms of the business model, like then, like, as you see, COVID hits and like, no matter how much knowledge you have there, because you're dependent on that as your source of revenue, then it's not necessarily conducive because there's external, you know, factors that can influence that. So I would assume like there, there's probably a lot of data that these companies have. They should put it to work to optimize whatever matching algorithm they're doing for, for you know, the both sides of the, the platform. Yeah. And what I'd like to see, you know, whether it be from Battlefront, Eagle Alpha, new data is, is more engagement. You know, they need to be, they need to be speaking to folks more truly understanding the landscape of people's businesses on both sides of the table and both sides of the coins, you know, irrespective of, of who it is, you know, that's what's going to drive, you know, the inherent value. Right. Um, and it's not just good enough to do that. You know, when you have a request that needs to be done proactively as well, that way, you know, throughout those conferences, throughout the, the the gatherings, you're really syncing high quality people, you know, together. Um, and, and so I think, uh, you know, I think those are some of the areas that, you know, I'd like to see sort of evolve, you know, of this, which is, you know, going back to what we discussed, which is understanding your customers at the end of the day, understanding their why and, you know, their, their pain points and, you know, things that they're trying to accomplish, not just now, but, you know, 12 you know, 24, 36 months from now. Exactly. So the, the short and like do a survey, 
survey all your clients and you know your attendees get their feedback and start getting that those first events together and you know on the back end make sure that you know the companies you're matching and what your vendors are looking for are aligned and uh you know and, and just go for it absolutely um so so I want to I want to kind of take this in a different way. Um, I've really kind of enjoyed this conversation. You know, if we if we were to fast forward, you know, ten years from now to the year you know twenty thirty one, what what do you believe will be some of the the largest use cases that will unfold as part of you know utilizing alternative data? Um, I think alternative data in terms of 2030. So that gives me some wiggle room to talk about things that don't even make too much sense right now. Um, I think small lending. Um, I'm seeing a lot of stuff in kind of this payment world where you got these developing countries, you got companies who can make money off of, you know, uh, a growing wealth level in these developing countries as well as in, you know, established countries. You know, I think alternative data will provide great opportunities in that space. How exactly? I'm not sure yet. And it, it could be its own podcast discussion in itself. Um, what else? I think, you know, at least for ThinkNum, one of our strongest forces of alternative data is in the labor markets. So any company that operates on, you know, having access to the top talent has to be using alternative data, um, especially to that, you know, for, for most companies, 70% of their balance sheet is specific to just their labor force. So it's, it's, it's not just a business case that an analyst is trying to solve or even a department manager. It's, it's a business case for the CFO of the company to make sure is, you know, happening uh, at, at, at a level that, you know, the, the company is, you know, needs to operate by. So, uh, so, you know, let's, so who, who needs that? Like, you know, your, your Googles of the world, you know, versus Apple, you know, that's a constant engineering battle, right? Um, you know, sometimes I think about Dropbox and Box, you know, two kind of, uh, you know, giants in the, the, the cloud management space, uh, but, you know, both trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's in the market, how can they kind of transform it? Uh, so, you know, essentially big players who, who want to kind of keep transforming the space. So like for me, you know, I think about cloud, which has been around for a long time, um, but you haven't seen too many new companies propping up that are at least trying to disrupt Dropbox or Box yet. But, you know, as these guys get older and maybe they, they you know, the, the saturation of the market kind of gets a little stale, then you start seeing these newer players pop up who are going to have access or find new data and use that to kind of, you know, transform, transform the space. Um, what else? Uh, definitely pharma companies. Uh, you know, I think, you know, when, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the pharma industry, um, has a huge opportunity to, uh, to put data to use as it relates to, you know, being able to anticipate the, the newest drugs coming on the market. Um, I think these huge kind of omni-channel, uh, drop ship, uh, warehousing, you know, e-commerce retail companies, you know, when you're selling, millions of products affecting billions of people you need to understand those products and you need to, you need to understand consumer sentiment around those products and sure and how to keep inventory churning and see which products are performing best and so obviously you get this data for your company but don't you need to benchmark against the industry so you know if you're amazon you need to know how 
uh, you know, maybe not just, you know, Amazon's funny because they have so many different products across so many different things. But like even just specifically, if you're Amazon and you're selling electronics online, it, wouldn't it be good to know how Best Buy's e-commerce is doing? Or like <laughs> if you, if we give you a funny 2030 example, right? If you're Amazon and, you know, you're, you're making, you know, you own Twitch, you're making more money off of gaming. And, you know, now you see GameStop, they're transforming to an e-commerce gaming uh, digital retailer, you know. Now you need to kind of benchmark against that. And sure, you could right. be like, hey, we don't care about them. Let's ignore them. But, you know, that's that, as we know, that's how companies tend to go in extinct, by right? They start, you know, having blind spots, stop tracking what's happening in the market. They kind of get comfortable being the market leader. And next thing you know, they're getting snapped up by the big whale. Exactly. Look, I, I've got a, I've got another usage case for you. So, you know, if you think about, you know, data as a whole, you know, I personally think that, you know, one of the things that we mentioned, obviously, you know, healthcare farmer, but, you know, diseases and cures, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, you know, treat diseases and, and, and come and identify cures much faster by being able to, you know, understand nuances of data that we, you know, never had access to exposure to, or be able to, to understand, you know, quicker. Um, and, and that's going to be you know, incredibly encouraging to see where healthcare goes. But even more intriguing, I think municipalities and cities specifically will become some of the largest consumers of data. I mean, if you think about Uber and Lyft as companies, the amount of data, and, and even Tesla for that matter, the amount of data that they are you know, collecting per ride will transform how companies, from an infrastructure standpoint, will completely change their 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 cities and where new routes can specifically be you know uh, go and what type of formation will happen and, and that will impact a number of things from housing to real estate development to warehousing which you mentioned as well could you imagine you know municipalities and, and cities you know analyzing data to understand you know you know foot traffic web traffic um you know the 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 mobile traffic for where you know, automobiles are going, um, where, you know, dense populations, you know, are currently, and how cities can actually, you know, become, you know, much more fluent at gauging how they need to, to structure their cities going forward. And then all new types of cities will emerge as a result of this as well, which people never, you know, would have considered, you know, in terms of, you know, new spaces and new, new areas of land that could be utilized for different types of you know, communities and commuters and so forth and so on. Yeah, um, I, I definitely local governments to state to federal governments um, are, are going to be big consumers of data. Um, I, I think they already are. I think they're just, you know, still in the process of building in systems to, uh, to integrate and to, uh, to manage that data efficiently, you know, knowing that, you know, a lot of government infrastructure is still behind the times in some ways, but you know, you see these big contracts being won by companies like Oracle, Microsoft, Tesla, or us, you know, uh, well, yeah, Tesla as well. Um, just in terms of, uh, you know, organizations, governments trying to modernize their infrastructure. So that definitely is a good thing for, for companies like us where, you know, we have the data, once they figure out how to start taking in data, you know, they don't have to even go looking for it. So, you know, that it's definitely a, an important area where, you know, we've actually developed some spinoff products like KG Base, which is a knowledge graph uh, tool for, uh, you know, teams to uh, essentially get more access to their data 
without having to have such a technical uh, expertise to do so. Um, so, you know, we're essentially we're trying to influence that adoption curve, uh, especially in places like government and lumber, real estate, uh, construction, plumbing, you know, there's definitely a lot of industries that have, have avoided having to, uh, to, you know, really innovate in terms of technology, but who knows how much longer they can wait at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, in, in your mind, as we kind of think through, you know, alternative data, you know, what do you think are some of the, the, the challenges in the industry, you know, today? I know, I know we mentioned, you know, things like sales cycles and so, and, you know, building people's fluencies, but, but where do you think some of the, the challenges are that, you know, either hedge funds or, or, or corporates need to, to sort of overcome? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know, man, doing sales for, for as long as I have, I, I, I typically avoid putting the onus on customers to do something. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes sure. I feel like it's, it's what do companies need to do to guide their customers, to guide the markets to what, what they see as the future. Um, so, you know, uh, but, you know, if, if I do look at it as, okay, what, what do these companies need to do? I think they just need to, to jump in, um, you know, like these companies have, you know, they have teams, they have people. So, you know, I, for the, this is more so a corporate problem, but, you know, they need to, you know, I, typically there's one person at a company or in a, on a team who's going to be like, hey, we need some data. We need to solve these problems. We need to look outside to find answers to it. Um, but, you know, I, I would probably garner that, like, those people need more support internally. You know what I'm saying? They at least need uh, an appropriate medium to be able to say, hey, I talked to this company. They gave me, you know, tailored insights for this particular sector where we have a bunch of our competitors in. You know, what, what can we do with it? And they need to have a process to say, hey, let's evaluate it. Let's, let's check the quality of it. And, you know, let's test it. And let's uh, give them an answer. And, you know, to be honest, whether it's a no or a yes, if that process can happen, I think that creates a lot of value. And that's kind of the cool parts about working at ThinkNum is even if, you know, we don't end up getting onboarding, you know, an enterprise client or, you know, whoever, uh, you know, a, 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 a team and a finance uh, related organization, even if we don't get them, they're going to get some data from us because, you know, we provide them data to, to look at that's actually relevant and they're going to learn something about their space. So, you know, it should be an ingrained kind of exercise to get data, systematically look at it, evaluate it, and to, you know, make decisions. And that'll speed up everyone's time. So we're not wasting each other's time. You know, we're not leading each other on. And we're, we're, we're creating value for it because we get to learn from the customer of, hey, we don't really like it for this reason or we could use it, but we might need some more of, you know, this type of data. And, you know, that's, that's great for the company or the companies, you know, here, here's data on your top three competitors across global markets in this region, like, and that's going to be extremely helpful for that analyst. They'll still have the data. Um, so, you know, it's a, it, I think it's kind of, you know, looking at it to your earlier points as a long-term relationship, you know, in startups, some, sometimes we're so driven to uh, grow, 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 sell, sell, sell. And we're, we're going so fast horizontally, but we, we, we forget to dig deeper vertically and create more value across the entire business chain. So, um, you know, I think it's definitely a, a symbiotic relationship and in a culture where, you know, data is necessary, 
and then a process where we have people in place who can look at data and decide on whether we want it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like working on the street, you know, it's like attending a small liberal arts college. It's like everyone seems to know everyone, at least by face. So they've had some idea of, of who they are, or what they do, or some type of experience with them. As big as the industry is, it's a it's a relatively small one as well. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, similar to me that you talk and meet with tons of people, you know, in the industry, um, you know, on the street, you know, that are focused on alternative data like you and I are. But who are some of the people or, or peers that you know at, uh, at other firms that are doing some really intriguing work that you admire, you know, at their companies? Sure, sure. Um... So, yeah, so I've like, you know, being that I'm doing a lot of business development work in, in a new space, it's hard to talk to people who know because I, to be honest, there's a lot of trailblazing, like, especially sure. when it comes to bringing alternative data to the corporate space. There's no like kind of thought leader of alternative data in the corporate world who actually is from the corporate world, if you get what I'm saying. You know, they're probably an analyst or, you know, an engineer by training, or they've worked in financial services, or they've worked in consulting, and then they bring that expertise to the corporate side. So to kind of answer that point, like what I've done is I've tried to do these kind of thought leadership events, you know, really just a webinar where I, I, I kind of find people that I see who have, who are talking about certain themes within alternative data and how it relates to business impact. And then I, you know, essentially talk to them. And then I say, hey, you know a lot about this. You know, can we host you at ThinkNum? And can you do, you know, a, a brief kind of conversation on maybe a book that you just released or, sure. you know, a paper that you just published. So, you know, for, for like, for some, some actual examples, like back in April, I reached out to uh, Doug Laney, who, you know, is a distinguished analyst uh, uh, formerly at Gardner. Um, and as well as still a thought leader and kind of the, the CDO data AI space, um, you know, coined the term data as an asset. Um, last April, you know, I, I reached out to them and he was, uh, he was, you know, definitely like, you know, cool enough during kind of even a crazy time with COVID to, you know, take some time to talk to me about things that he's working on, allow me to share what ThinkNum's doing. And, you know, we ended up doing one of the, the first kind of webinars um, of the company uh, last year. And, um, you know, it, it helped think them not just talk about what we wanted to talk about in terms of you know how important it is for companies to use data but you know it allowed us to reach out to a lot of you know big major companies in the corporate space who ordinarily we wouldn't really have a great way to start that conversation um sure so sure. you know another guy was uh um dr kirk Bourne, um you know who's who's definitely you know former NASA engineer and, you know, a, a really smart guy in how, you know, alternative data really applies specifically to uh, businesses, um, you know, and we've, you know, uh, and then just, you know, I have another uh, good friend who I actually met at like literally the last of, or one of the last few events um, before COVID shut down the city. Um, he, he, he leads a, the a data society in New York where they do a whole bunch of uh, meetups and things like that. Um, his name uh, is uh, Jason Forrest of McKinsey and he, he leads their 
entire uh, COVID response data visualization team. And uh, he's been a great resource to, uh, to learn from in, in the space. We actually did a webinar uh, based on some curated research and pa published papers he's done um, on uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, who uh, you know, essentially was actually very big in uh, data science and data visualizations before we were, we were even calling it that kind of stuff. Um, right. And then just most recently, uh, I reached out to a uh, USC professor uh, by the name of um, Alec Levinson, and uh, he heads the, uh, their Center of Effective Organizations um, over at their uh, Marshall School of Business. And he's a big thought leader in, uh, you know, people analytics, organizational behavior. And, you know, from an academic perspective, there's kind of this context of where so much research has been done on helping companies understand how to optimize, you know, employee, you know, happiness and, you know, performance and not really optimize it, but just how to put together the right process and structure to enable organizations to, to get good data to, you know, figure out what's going on with their people. And so we just did a webinar by the name of uh, People Analytics for the Future of Work, Accelerating Predictive Capabilities. And we were able to get a bunch of uh, CHROs, uh, you know, chief people officers, talent, intelligence professionals, people analytics uh, professionals um, who, who were able to kind of talk and have a dialogue around, you know, how we see the workforce changing. So I, I think, you know, there's definitely, and obviously all the other conversations I just have with, you know, clients and prospects and things like that. So, you know, it's really been, uh, you know, kind of use maybe one or two, three people who, who really know the space, use them to kind of create a bigger platform where these conversations happen more spontaneously because people are just generally interested in understanding what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, look, uh, you know, this is this has been a really great conversation. Truly enjoyed it. Um, sounds like you're doing, you know, uh, incredible things over at ThinkNum. I want to take the next minute to kind of just segue into to something I've done with other guys. Uh, I'm going to mention a couple, um, you know, two different scenarios. You know, give me your preferences, one versus, you know, the other. We, we typically call this like, you know, rapid, you know, 30 second drill. Um, so I'll mention, you know, the two different options. You let me know which of the two you actually prefer. Cool. Sure. If, if maybe I'll add just like a few words of context, but just a few words. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, um, you know, who do you prefer to, or, or who do you think has the largest TAM opportunity in the space, you know, working with, you know, hedge funds or corporates? Definitely in corporates. Um, there's more of them out there and, um, you know, they're, they're generating billions of revenue, um, which I think is a slightly different than managing billions of dollars in assets. So, you know, it's, it, 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 there, there's, there's a big impact when we can get our data into a corp because we know that's going to affect millions and billions of people in the world. And so we're excited to, to be involved in that kind of opportunity. Sure. Who's, uh, who's hosted the best, um, the best data conference that you've been to, you know, Battlefin or, or Eagle Alpha? Um, I mean, well, we did meet at Battlefin, man, and that was in Miami. And if <laughs> yeah. you remember correctly, man, that food was good. That yeah. food was really good. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, Eagle Alpha, I've enjoyed all of their events as well. And um, new data was actually just kind of propping up at the end before uh, COVID kind of really took, took, a, took a smattering. So to be honest, I'm going to leave it as a blank card, man. Whatever, whatever company jumps out first this year, I'll, I'll jump on their bandwagon. 
for sure. Absolutely. Uh, New York or London? Uh, I hear a lot of good things about London, man, but you know, I, I'm a, I'm a roll with New York city for sure. Got it. Better, better sports franchise, um, in New York Yankees or the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, I think Yankees have done their thing, man. They've done their thing, but what, what's going on in Brooklyn right now at the Barkley center, um, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, got Blake Griffin, Steve Nash, like the, I've never, I mean, you know, you got to go back to see a Yankees lineup like this. So right now I think it's, it's, we're talking nets. Yeah. I, I'd have to agree with you. It's definitely musty TV. It's pretty box office over there. Um, across all of sports, who's the, uh, who's the goat, Michael Jordan or Tom Brady? Ah, uh, this is, this is a good one, man. Who's the goat, man. Who's the goat. I mean, like, I think when you look at it now, you can kind of like get more detailed about it. But I mean, like Michael Jordan was so good. He played another sport and did a movie called space jam. Like, you know, <laughs> this guy was on some other stuff. Uh, you know, I think I saw like uh, Brady up, updated his uh, profile on Twitter and like gave himself like the, the laser eyes or something that a bunch of these like Bitcoin exactly. are doing. So exactly. If, if, but if, if Brady can make some like I feel like the, to be the goat, like obviously you have to be the best and have the most ships, which both of these guys have now at this point. So I think it kind of becomes, well, what what legend do you create outside of the game itself? And I think that's what really cements the top, top, top goats. I mean, but you got to have the ships too. So that's why we're not talking about LeBron right now. That's, that's true. I mean, look, yeah, I mean, just off the, uh, the Jordan sneaker legacy alone, that will live in perpetuity, right? Exactly. Um, and then in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of news, uh, news networks, um, you know, better, better source for you, CNBC or Bloomberg? Ooh. Um. You know, CNBC has has gotten us some waves, man. So, like, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's gotten us some waves. Now, I understand kind of, you know, it's it's there, there's some grumblings about like, you know, oh, what, what is media's role in you know finance? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's always kind of what's going on there. But you know, I, I have a lot of respect for CNBC. You know, they do what they do, and you know, the, the viewer can listen and learn from what they want to. Uh, so definitely solid source. Bloomberg, I think, you know, I think Bloomberg, although has great news, I think it's much bigger than just that. And so, you know, the question is, what's a better news network? I'll have to say CNBC. But if you ask me what's like a more like steamrolling organization, I'd, I'd lean Bloomberg. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then lastly, look, you know, uh, there's a ton of people always looking to talking to me um you know emailing linkedin and i assume you get the same thing a ton of people looking to you know work in the industry alternative data whether it be working with you know hedge funds like myself corporates like you what's the best uh, best form of advice you would give anyone looking to to break into the industry um it's new york city this is like fintech capital and i think at the moment alternative data is tied to that so you know i think it's best to plug into events whether digitally or in person as as things kind of progress and attend and meet people um 
when I first moved to New York City, you know, I was largely driven by free food events, but, you know, next to that was meeting people. And that's how you learn. Um, you can't learn if you're in a box, you know, blindfolded with earbuds in. Like, that's not how you're going to learn anything. Um, so if you're trying to get to a space that's new, you got to learn first and you got to crawl before you can walk and you got to be humble and you got to, you know, essentially, you know, be, be the student. And, you know, at some point when you get good enough, the student surpasses the master. But, uh, you know, be the student first and, um, you know, go through your LinkedIn's and find out who's working in the space, even if it's not alternative data. Sometimes we get so stuck on alternative data, but really, you know, alternative data is just a representation of data itself. And it's just a specific nuance of data that isn't so like widely adopted. And that's kind of what makes data so interesting. It's that when, you know, you have, or you're talking about data that other people don't really understand or have access to, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to create value from that data, at least in the beginning. So, you know, it's, it's kind of about, you know, the whole point of alternative data is to do things in different ways to find things that you haven't seen before or had access to. So, you know, I would apply that approach in trying to learn about it and get into the space. You know, what, what am I doing that I, or what am I not doing? And am I falling into the same ways that I've always tried to do business or tried to, you know, program software, et cetera? And is there things that I can do differently? Is there new people I can reach out to? Uh, or is there new things I can learn to, uh, to better my understanding and get more ingrained in the space? Absolutely, absolutely. What a great way to segue it off. Um, really appreciate the time. Um, you know, Ab, this has been a fantastic um, conversation that I've had, really enjoyed it. We're definitely gonna have to do this again Thanks so much, sir. Appreciate the time as always. And we're gonna have to do this again soon. Absolutely, thanks for having me, Aubrey. It was a true pleasure. Uh, wishing you much success. I think this is a great platform. Um, can't wait to see the other great people you're gonna talk with. And you know, uh, I'll, be, I'll be following along for sure. Absolutely, appreciate the time. We will connect soon. All right, my man, take it easy. Take care. Hey guys, if you found this, uh, this episode helpful, useful, and you enjoyed the content, you know, make sure to follow us on all the appropriate channels, uh, subscribe to the, uh, to the cast and leave a positive review it really helps us, uh, continue to grow, you know, put out, um, amazing content and it helps other people in the industry, you know, find the, uh, find the platform and the channel as well. So that we can continue to grow and keep putting out fresh related news and content every day until the next time this is adn providing alternative data news always in all ways